Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Yowza, yowza, yowza. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. Yowza. I got Don and Andy with me. Gentlemen, you ready to talk about some albums today? Yeah. That's, I'm ready to crack open the great American songbook, man. Dust off the pages and uh, see what this country has in store. So the, your pages aren't stuck together, are they, Andy? Because mine are not. <laughs> I have mine on my Kindle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Very hip. Very today. All right. So what we do here, we talk about albums. We're going to be talking about three of those today. We'll be answering a question that we ask ourselves, but we will not be spinning the Wheel of Musical Destiny at the end of this show. It's the time of year where we have to make our own musical destiny and discuss our favorite new release albums of 2022 so far. So that'll be up on the next show. But this week, as Andy indicated, we will be talking about albums that feature songs from the Great American Songbook. That's what I'm talking about! The Great American Songbook is, is it's a loosely defined canon of uh, early 20th century American jazz standards, popular songs, and, and show tunes. Um, so they've been you know recorded and performed many times. Uh, names like George Gershwin, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Jerome Kern, Harold Arlen, Johnny Mercer, Richie Rogers, uh, and, and others. Um, so your crooners back in the day, you know, people like Bing Crosby and Perry Como, you know, they'd be singing a, a lot of these songs. Uh, and of course we have, you know, more modern artists taking a stab at these. So each of us is uh, bringing to the table albums that include uh, multiple songs from what's considered to be the the great American songbook. What were you guys' expectations coming into this category? It's a little bit outside of our norm, at least in terms of the time frame a lot of these songs were written. You know, we're talking like 100 years ago, 80 to 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I have memories of, you know, being a young lad in my grandparents' kitchen and kind of hearing some of these songs on the, the classics radio station that they used to listen to. I thought you were going to say that you listened on the Victrola. <laughs> That's what I was like, because I, I picture these, you know, these songs being played on those like giant hi-fi systems that your your parents or grandparents would have had. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I think I mentioned before that, that I took a, a pop music in America class uh, in college. And so we learned a little bit about, about Tin Pan Alley, you know, which was uh, a New York City, you know, group of songwriters who wrote a lot of the, the hits in, in those days and, you know, people like Gershwin and stuff like that. This was important at the time because your performers, I mean, generally weren't composing their, their own songs. So I, I think they relied on these songwriters for material. Well, I mean, a lot of the songs were written from the 20s through even like the early 60s. And, and I, I picture that greatest generation time period, you know, yeah. the post-World War II, the big movie musicals, Gene Kelly tap dancing around. And, and I like a Gershwin tune. How about you? I think everyone likes a good Gershwin tune here and there. He's the original G. Right. Or OG. Wow. It was, just, it was just a G back then. That was so hip sounding. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. That's enough of that. You choo choo choose me? All right. So for my American Songbook album selection, I'm going with a record from Brian Wilson entitled The Brian Wilson Reimagines Gershwin. It came out in August of 2010. It is Brian's eighth studio album. Brian Wilson, most notably from the Beach Boys, if you're not familiar, they were 
pretty popular uh, group in the 60s and pop music, America, definitely a, a slice of Americana. Doesn't get much more American than Brian Wilson. The three words I came up with to describe this record were constantly interesting, inconsistently successful, and completely American. Uh, I know that's like six words. More than three words. (laughs) (laughs) Those are three short phrases. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot happens on this album, and I needed a couple extra words to really uh, describe it all. Um, So why don't we play play, uh, one of the memorable cuts from this record. This is a little taste of Summertime. Suck it, Sublime. <laughs> um, so, I mean, these songs are all like a little different than their typical Gershwin versions of these you would have heard back in the day of Gershwin's time. But at really any point, they're kind of been Wilsonized, I would say, for better or worse. There's a lot of string flourishes here and there, some like Beach Boy harmonies. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I, you know, Disney approached uh wilson about doing a record of disney song covers which he eventually would do um but he said he you know he wanted to do gershwin first so embarked on this project uh the gershwin estate was nice enough to or give him a hundred unfinished gershwin songs to pick from to kind of create some new music for the album and they did that with two tracks on here so there's kind of some interesting backgrounds not just playing these songs. He really did kind of rethink them and rearrange them, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's not always successful in my opinion, but uh, it's an admirable try. What did, you, what did you guys think of Brian Wilson reimagines Gershwin? Yeah, the, the three words I, I chose uh, to describe the album were comfortable arrangements and harmonies. Uh, and that's really what I, when I think of Brian Wilson, that's what I, what I think about. You know, I mean, he really has these just sophisticated, you know, or- orchestral uh, arrangements and, and harmonies. Uh, so, I mean, this, even though he's doing Gershwin songs, this is just very much a, like a, a typical Brian Wilson record in a, in a Brian Wilson sound. I, I guess what I like about Brian Wilson is, you know, from afar, you know, it just kind of sounds good. But, you know, when you really do some focused listening, you just, you notice a lot of little subtle flourishes and, and things. Um, so there's, there's always a lot going on, even though often the, the lyrics are, are simple and even the melody might uh, appear to be kind of simple. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Brian Wilson being a, a Gershwin of his own, uh, it was appropriate for him to tackle this. The three words I would use to describe it are beachy, loungy, because it sounds like lounge music and nostalgia. E, I guess, if I'm going to be consistent. Uh, it just felt like him dipping his toe into maybe his childhood, you know, the music that his his dad was a musician and probably doing this kind of music. So I think uh, probably uh, tackling this was some kind of trip down memory lane, a way of of uh, doing something maybe that he could be proud of in, in this uh, period of his career, uh, taking on such a huge thing. The yeah, we we can talk about the Beach Boy stuff, the Beach Boy sounds in it, which to me are a miss a lot of the time because it's not the Beach Boys. Like some of the harmonies are okay, but when it's overdone with the ooh wah wah bippy doo wah wah, it's like mm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I felt similarly about the Beach Boys sounds. Why don't we actually play just for context here? I think probably the most most Beach Boys esque track would be "They Can't Take That Away From Me." Uh, let's play a little clip now. 
Yeah, so a track like that, I mean, it sounds like a Beach Boys song, in my opinion. I mean, with like a very kind of like, I don't know, it kind of makes the Gershwin lyrics sound almost like juvenile when you put them against that like Beach Boys sound. I, I don't know, it really took me out of the whole experiment with those. And I love the Beach Boys, so it's not that, but I think it's just for this type of record. Did you guys, did you feel it all that way down or how'd you like those tracks? I, I thought they were fine. I mean, they were just typical. I mean, I've listened to to most of the the Brian Wilson solo stuff, and you know, all of it basically does kind of sound like the the Beach Boys. You know, so that, that's what I kind of expected from the the record. It's a super interesting album. It's just there's hits and misses for me in terms of when it's too much, and sometimes like with that one, it was too Beach Boy y, but not. Beach Boy E enough because it didn't sound like the Beach Boys. It sounded like someone trying to sound like the Beach Boys. All in all, I mean, all of the the way that he was able to reshape some of these songs is incredible. The arrangements are incredible. It's just sometimes the the way that the vocals are handled, I wasn't a huge fan of. Yeah, I'm with you, man. There's kind of this weird kind of juxtaposition of like the 20s when all these songs were written by Gershwin and then like that Beach Boys sound of like 60s and it doesn't really always fit together in a way that makes sense. I think there are some things that work really well. Uh, like the opening and closing cuts are little snippets of Rhapsody in Blue, which I think, you know, is probably among the all time great Gershwin tracks. Um, I really thought that worked well. And he weaves that, that uh, song in a few points throughout the record. And it's really kind of catches you by guard, catch you, catch, caught me off guard to hear it. And I really kind of appreciated. Like the like Don was saying, like the intricacy and the, the the thought that goes into composing this record as a whole, I think is is impressive. So yeah, I mentioned at the top there that they had kind of rewritten um, some just unfinished sketches from Gershwin. Uh, one of those is a track towards the beginning of the record called "The Like in I Love You." Why don't we play a little bit of that now? Yeah, that's the right amount of Brian Wilson Beach Boysiness for me. That's that's the sweet spot. Yeah, I thought that track worked really well too. And the lyrics are a little bit awkward, but the melody is really strong. And yeah, it sounded like a good melding of those two time periods to me with that with that song and a few of the others towards the beginning of this record in particular. Any other final thoughts, boys? Well, I I love Brian Wilson, <laughs> but. Um... <laughs> Donnie Lakey. Get that in there. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's just a, he's an easy listen. Um, and I, I think you can, you know, it can be something that's on in the background, but it's also something you can, you can listen to with, with headphones and, and enjoy. Uh, yeah. I mean, one thing that I'll point out that I thought was really interesting was the album cover, the piano keys on it that start to start as piano keys and break apart into, into different shapes and, you know, kind of colors and it looks very 60s which i like it uh, i think it it kind of illustrates what this album is about tradition but also deconstruction so i thought it was cool yeah i think it actually refers it's actually a reference to a 60s jazz album cover i couldn't find the connection between that and this record other than just the album art but uh seems to be intentional because it's almost identical cool but yeah so that's uh brian wilson reimagines gershwin definitely good for a kind of a, a blending of if you like the Beach Boys and you want to hear some like you know traditional Americana popperized by Brian Wilson, I think uh, I think it's a pretty interesting listen. So give it a, look, give it a chance. 
excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now it is that time. We're going to ask ourselves a question. So, Great American Songbook, well-established, theoretically well-established. Is it time to expand the Great American Songbook beyond the whatever it is, the 20s through the late 50s, or early 60s? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on like what the intention of the Great American Songbook is or was like. If it's supposed to be a collection of like all the great American songs, then yeah, obviously you need to expand on it. But maybe it's more of a time period and maybe it should stay just to be that, that it's kind of almost more of a genre than uh, early a collection. So it really depends on, on what it's, what it is, I guess. The name kind of implies that it should be updated, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it is something that's kind of happening organically anyway. So, I mean, if you ever watch, any of those uh, stupid talent shows like American Idol or uh, The Voice or whatever. I mean, a lot of the songs that they're doing, right, those are basically the the standards now. You know, and some of them, sometimes they do go back to the Great American Songbook. Like, I think, didn't even, like, American Idol, like, banned, I think, at last. Because, like, everybody, you know, every female <laughs> R&B singer would come in and go, at last. Uh, uh, but now, you know, but so now they're, they're doing songs from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I, I think those kind of are the, the newer, the updated version of the Great American Songbook. If it's like what Andy said, a, more of a genre, that's fine. But it has elements of other genres in it. So I'd say it's a representation of the best of American songwriting, in which case good vibrations by the Beach Boys should be in there, you know, uh, which I think is kind of what's cool about having Brian Wilson on this show is he's one of the people who I think should be represented there if, if, if there was to be an update. I think it's the songs written by American artists that change the shape of music or capture the time, but the best, you know, the best uh, compositions, not just that it was a hit. But a lot, a lot of the Great American Songbook is tied in very closely with American uh, movie musicals and things that were going on at the time. So, yeah, I've read, I was reading a lot about this, and it, basically the argument out on the internet is exactly the one we just had. So, let's figure it out, nerds. Let us know what you think about the Great American Songbook. Should it be expanded? Should we leave it as is and make a new songbook what's the deal hit us up at album nerds on the socials and of course at the album nerds discord that's why i'm calling this album frank sings tunes the young people will enjoy (laughs) (laughs) okay so the album uh i'm bringing to the table is uh, frank sinatra's uh in the wee small hours which was released uh in april 1955 uh and most of the the songs uh, on this this album are uh would be considered to be part of the great american songbook um well why don't we uh why don't we start with uh, a cole porter tune this is uh what is this thing called love what is this thing called love so this is the the ninth studio album by francis albert sinatra uh, born september 12th 1915 uh i should also note the album was scored by uh nelson riddle uh, who did several of frank sinatra's albums well the three words i'm choosing uh are uh just master of vocals I really do see, you know, Frank Sinatra as, you know, being somebody who kind of perf- perfected the recorded voice. The, the way he uses the microphone, he, 
you know, he gets quieter and moves closer to the mic. Uh, when he gets louder, uh, you know, he, he steps away from it. Uh, you know, I, I think he, you know, really, really perfected that. And I, I just think he is just such a talent. Um, you know, when you, I, when you compare him to, to other, uh, crooners, you know, people like Dean Martin and stuff, I, like, I, I just, I think Dean Martin's a joke compared to to Frank Sinatra. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very harsh words. Wow! Yeah, but Said that sixty years ago, yeah. ain't that a kick in the head? Yeah. And this is right. this is really, I think, when Sinatra was at the peak of his vocal powers. You know, when people do the the caric- caricatures of of Sinatra, it's usually kind of the later Sinatra where he's dooby dooby doo and you know all that kind of kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, and I, I think maybe people don't realize the the kind of range that that he actually that he actually had. Um, similar to what I said about Elvis uh, in the past. But anyway, uh, I'll move on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love I love Frank, and it's really cool listening to this particular album from this time period when he was at his velvetiest. Uh, the three words I chose to describe this album are doobie, doobie, do. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I chose the words <laughs> moody, atmospheric, and nocturnal. That uh, spells out man. It does. Wow. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Doobie, doobie, doo. Um, I'm going to be doing that all week. The marriage of the, these songs that are all uh, loosely like a concept where it's about loneliness and, and breakups and, and uh, the night and the city. The night is a character in this. Yes. But that, the great American songbook, some of those songs are, are so great for that. And then, the great orchestral work and arrangements. And then Frank's voice is perfect for that. You picture a lonely guy standing by a street lamp, you know, smoking a cigarette and, you know, looking up to the sky just in this New York city rainy scene. I don't know. It just, it, the the album cover is what I picture throughout these songs. Very, a lot of fun to listen to. This is like one of those records that like the album cover is perfectly described the record. Um, but for me, in general, Sinatra, man, I've never been particularly drawn to him. It just sounds like his voice just seems very tame to me. And I, I know he it is very velvety and there's a lot of warmth to it, but just isn't, there's not a lot of excitement for me. I know it's kind of a kind of a sad record, I guess. And maybe that's okay. How would you boil it down, Andy? Oh uh, yeah, my three words were uh, "wake me in the morning." Wow! It's like five <laughs> I thought somebody was going to be like chairman of the board, more like chairman of the board. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, for those that. listening. That's that's B O A R D or B O R E D. See. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty chill record. I mean, I was thinking if you were heartbroken and couldn't sleep, this would be a pretty great record to put on. Like, it probably would help you fall asleep. <laughs> and in the morning, you'd feel a lot better, and you might, uh, what might you say once you're feeling better, Andy? It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> doobie, doobie, doo. Yes. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, it's actually funny that we we played that clip, that that joke from Saturday Night Live, where he's like, "I'm calling this record, you know, songs for a younger crowd." Um, but I think we could <laughs> we could probably credit you know Sinatra for like the the concept album, and it even became kind of a joke because after this, you know, there's like songs for young lovers, which was a much more upbeat record, um, and then um, then songs for unwanted pregnancy came next. <laughs> No, we probably shouldn't talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave that aside. Never mind. There we go. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So I mean, he was. you know, at a time, I, I think when when people were were really looking at at records as just being um, you know one song, uh, you know an A side, he you know took the, the the larger format and said, "Hey, I'm going to do a collection of songs that that fit this mood." This certainly does that. I mean, it's a uh, it's it's a sad record. It's it's quiet, but I, you know, I do think it captures that heartbreak and and loneliness. Yeah, no, it definitely does, man. It's super consistent, and you were pretty. Pretty sad and lonely by the end of it, so. It's good. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we hear uh, a, a couple of more tracks? Sinatra worked with with uh, you know some great jazz musicians. Let's uh, let's listen to Ill Wind. Yeah, so there's uh, there's some jazz there. Andy might might like that. And then uh, let's do another one from the the Great American Songbook. Uh, here's Mood Indigo. Uh, which was uh, Duke Ellington, Barney Bigard, uh, and Irving Mills. Like, it's not like Sinatra's voice was uh, some multiple octave, like, operatic dude, but what he did, he did and set the tone for how to do it. Your Michael Bublé's and even Harry Connick Jr. to some extent on the, when he's doing the the cover stuff, not his own music. He kind of set the bar. Here's here's what this kind of music sounds like, which is will never change. I mean, there's very few artists that I think three centuries from now people will still know who they are, and I think Frank Sinatra's one of them. Yeah, well said. That's for sure, man. He leaves behind a. Quite a legacy. Okay, so that was uh, In the Wee Small Hours by Frank Sinatra. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey, album fans. Looking for a place to meet album nerds such as yourself? Check out the Album Nerds Discord. I know I did. Couldn't be happier. I go to Album wow, Nerds. you sound really happy. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can join like-minded nerds, suggest topics for upcoming shows, and get a sneak peek at what we're working on next. All right, so I'm going to go uh, with an artist that also attempted to reinterpret songs from the Great American Songbook, but also thankfully reinterpreted songs from rock and roll songs from the 50s on here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Jeff Lynn of ELO fame. That's Electric Light Orchestra. Why don't we uh, start off with one of the songs that is uh, from the Great American Songbook, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. So 
So that was Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered from the Long Wave album from October of 2012. The album contains cover versions of songs that influenced Lynn's songwriting while growing up and residing in Birmingham. That's uh, in England, not down south. <laughs> it was recorded between 2010 and 2012. My three words are captivating, reimagined, and cathartic because I was completely drawn into all these songs. Love the arrangements. Love how he did them. Love how beatily he sounds at times. He sounds like George Harrison. He sounds like Paul McCartney sometimes. And he did work with all of those guys, produced things for them. I just really enjoyed it, like genuinely, not just because of the songbook tie. It's just something I'll listen to. What about you guys? What were your thoughts? Um, yeah, you know, I genuinely enjoyed this as well. My three words I came up with were America Rocks. Question mark. Is, is that <laughs> Question mark's a word. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in this case it is. There's some kind of rocking songs on here at times, which was like surprising to me to get that from the American Songbook, which is not very, doesn't have much rock in it. So that was cool. And you're right, man. There's, there's definitely that strong Beatles sound throughout the record. Many aspects of their sound, I think, show up here. So that's always a positive. Yeah, so generally, generally, I really enjoy this. Yeah, the the three words I chose were uh, everything is fine. I, I think like every Jeff Lynn produced record, and there's there's so many, and like I can always recognize a, a Jeff Lynn. Well, maybe not. It might be a fun test or something. Um, but you know, I can generally pick out a, a, a Jeff Lynn produced uh, album. It's just always fine. You know, it's it sounds good. It generally has like a feeling of of feeling fine. Um, so <laughs> I, I mean, I would say you know Jeff Lynn doesn't invoke a lot of passion from me because it, you know it's just uh, ah, you know sounds good. It's Jeff Lynn. <laughs> Can't help but think of that meme of that dog in the burning room where everything everything is fine. <laughs> would you would you say that he brings about like a it brings to mind like an idealized place of great or idyllic magnificence and beauty. No, I'd say he's he, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what are you referring to there, dude? Xanadu. Uh, that's what it means. Xanadu. That was a terrible uh, roller skating movie that ELO did the uh, soundtrack for. With Olivia Newton-John, right? In the 70s. Wow, that's yeah. a, that's a mm -hmm. deep cut, bro. Yeah. Not a few li lived at the time. <laughs> Why don't we listen to a little bit of a song that is actually written in the 1970s and, and steps a little bit outside of the Great American Songbook, but kind of has the same style the original does. This is called She, and uh, you can hear the ELO sort of influence on this one. And a song about like all the things about this woman that are draw you in i feel like that sound that those sort of angelic sort of arrangements he puts together vocally with himself fits it perfectly like i just think that song is in my head constantly what you guys think of that particular track is it uh earworm for you as well oh yeah, yeah. unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely put as the opener too because like you can't can't avoid it you're gonna get in there no matter what you do 
Yeah, I do think it's one of the the better moments uh, on the on the record. I, I think he he does a, a good job with it. And I mean, the only I I was familiar with like the Elvis Costello version. Yeah, I th- I think I like this uh, this one better. You know. Yeah, uh, a quote that I found from Jeff Lynne basically is the reason that it's called Long Wave is because uh, that was the name of the radio, the Crystal Radio he had. But I think of Long Wave also like a long wave goodbye. You know, he got these songs out of his head when he got to record these, you know. That's what I was picturing too, looking at the album art, which is very similar to the Sinatra album art. It's kind of an empty street. It almost looks feels like you're looking into the past almost, waving goodbye. Yeah. And speaking of, of goodbye, there's also a bit of a tribute to a friend on this album, uh, Running Scared, Roy Orbison's song, uh, not part of the Great American Songbook, technically. It was written in 1961, but I feel like uh, this was done as a tribute to his friend and also a way of, of that long wave. What did you guys think of Running Scared? I, lo- I mean, th- <laughs> Running Scared is, uh, I think it's so, s- such an iconic Roy Orbison song that it's like sacred. Like, I, I don't really appreciate other people doing it. But, and then Jeff Lynn just did it basically like Roy. I mean, it sounds a lot like the, the Roy Orbison version. So, I mean, he does a good job with it, but I, I guess I, I didn't need it. Yeah. And that's kind of, Jeff didn't mess with the arrangements on the Chuck Berry song, Let It Rock. He didn't really mess with At Last too much. At Last. And he definitely. Sorry. He de- <laughs> there we go again. He definitely left Running Scared alone. I've never been a big Roy Orbison guy, but I thought that Jeff nailed it vocally. He was able to handle it, which I thought was, was cool. That is true. So, instead of talking about a song that we're going to end up in, uh, having a fight about, Let's, because uh, I want to say anything I'll regret about Orbison. Why don't we listen to uh, a bit of Beyond the Sea, which is another of the Great American Songbook songs. And uh, the guitar and drums here, I really liked what he did. Little, uh, little queenish there, which I, I appreciated. I mean, Jeff Lynn is definitely a product of his of his country and and his music is definitely has a queen quality and a beatles quality all at the same time and i think that's i've been this album and has taken me on this yellow that's all i'm listening to uh listening to a lot of yellow records the last couple of weeks yeah i've um it's funny. I I like all the, you know, the Jeff Lynne produced records. So, I mean, you mentioned Roy Orbison. So, he did the, the Roy Orbison kind of comeback album in the 80s. And he did the Traveling Wilburys albums. He did the, the George Harrison Cloud Nine. Um, he did like Tom Petty Full Moon Fever and I think into the grade wide, wide open. So he had like that, that big run of records. And again, when you hear them, I mean, they all kind of have exactly that same sound. But if for some reason I've never been drawn to the, the ELO stuff and I'm not sure exactly why, because it definitely has like Beatles qualities to it. Maybe it gets a little too gaudy or something or. It was too much for me, too theatrical when I was younger. But now I, I do appreciate, uh, I appreciate Jeff's contribution to music. So I think that has, you know, kind of given me pause and, and let me open my ears a little bit when listening to Yellow Records. So yeah, I, I think that this album for me was ear opening in ways because it allowed me to 
hear these songs through someone else's excitement and experience. And I think that was important here because it's so easy to get lost in the, you know, Rod Stewart does the Great American Songbook albums and things that are out there. There's just over and over these same songs with similar arrangements done the same over and over. So our approach today, I thought was great. The albums that we, that we touched all brought something traditional or special to the to the mix so that was uh jeff lynn long wave great great songs you'll forget you'll forget what they are you'll just enjoy them uh or at the very least it'll be fine go check it out long wave it's that time of the show where we look back and try and make sense of what just happened so gentlemen great american songbook what are your thoughts uh what did you learn well, I, you know, one thing I, I enjoyed about it was paying attention to, to these songs, you know, kind of figuring out why, why they're special and, and why they, they became standards. Um, so, you know, these songs kind of, I think, set the tone for, you know, for pop songwriting, you know, into the, the late 20th century and to today. You know, I understand why they, you know, have this uh, important status uh, in music. Yeah, I think it is important to keep these songs kind of in mind and as a reference point and uh, kind of hold them up with some high regard. I'll tell you though, for me though, in all honesty, after listening to this these types of songs for like a week, more or less nonstop. I was ready for a break. I I, I felt like it was, it was kind of enough nostalgia bait for me because I didn't think there was a lot more to them than just sort of like their, I don't know, I guess the nostalgic quality. I wasn't getting much more out of them than, than just that. I, don't know, I appreciated it, but I think in a small dose for me, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's more than a list of songs. It's American Pie. I mean, it's really the foundation of that idea of the of when people look back on this post-World War II, superpower America, but it's also a tapestry of American music in terms of all these composers were blending jazz into into this sound, into these songs, which I think is super important for the development of jazz being a, a, lar- a largely a black musical art form, pushing its way into American popular culture and into this this great american songbook so uh, i think at the base of it that's what america is supposed to be all about so uh that's what i kind of took away from this that this is this is all woven in to like don was saying into songwriting and the, the way that people compose like brian wilson was definitely influenced and inspired by this stuff as he was arranging beach boy songs and uh and on and on. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. The only thing I regret is that these songs aren't more prevalent in straight up regular albums instead of having to be collections of these songs by an artist. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean your destiny. All right, as the dude alluded to, we are in fact Giving the wheel the week off. The bot that controls our wheel is on vacation. She sent me a text message <laughs> from poolside. Oh, that's dangerous. A bot can't get wet. Short she's, circuit, man. She's not swimming. She's just getting some sun. <laughs> um, but we'll be back to spin the wheel next time. But in lieu of in lieu of the wheel, we are going to look back on the year that has been 2022. Talk about new releases that have come out in the last six months. Should be uh, should be fun. You guys uh, excited about it? Yes, yes. But I missed the wheel. 
but yeah, we we do need a, a chance to recap all the fun new stuff we found this year. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, so tune in next week for new release recommendations from 2022. What's your favorite rendition from the Great American Songbook? What new releases are you enjoying? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you for choosing the album nerds podcast we'll catch you next time with our new release recommendations from 2022 part one thanks for listening doobie doobie do <laughs> nope doobie doobie do i did it my way the money's on the nightstand <laughs> 